Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enters in and chokes the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and hundredfold. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. C. Everett Koop is a name that would be familiar to many of you. Uh, he was the Surgeon General of the United States during the Reagan years. He was also uh, a Christian and an elder in a PCA church, 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He came to faith uh, as a young adult, uh, and, and he reflected on his conversion, and, and this is how he said it came about. He said that, uh, he first attended 10th Presbyterian Church, and when he sat there, he, he did not believe anything that the pastor, Donald Gray Barnhouse, said. He remembers distinctly thinking, I believe nothing of what this man says. But there was something about it, something about that experience of being in church that uh, caused him to go back. Time and again, he would go back to church week after week, month after month, and about a year later, he reflected on his time in church and he said, you know, when I, the first time I came to church, I didn't believe anything the preacher was saying. Now I believe everything that the preacher was saying. And, and he had no, really no idea that that transformation was taking place. Now when Jesus burst on the scene in the first century here, in Mark chapter 1, 2, 3, and now chapter 4, uh, his message was, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. 
What is meant by the kingdom of God? The word kingdom, of course, is the word king with the suffix dom on the end, which means domain. A kingdom is a king's domain. A kingdom usually has three elements. There's a monarch, there's some territory, and there are some people who are its subjects. We might uh, talk about the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Uh, we have uh, a queen, in this case, she's the monarch. There's some territory, uh, England, uh, uh, Great Britain, the island of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And in those lands dwell her at least somewhat loyal subjects. Now, Jesus is saying that a new kingdom is breaking in. Uh, I'm arriving. The, John the Baptist proclaimed it as well, said there's a kingdom coming, a new kingdom is coming. And Jesus is establishing this new kingdom, and people were excited. And it, it reminds me a bit of the last couple of, or the last election, and now this election. There's a lot of talk about hoping for some positive change. You know, people want change, they want hope. And so here is a new regime breaking in, and people in Jesus' day, just like some of us, are looking for change, they're looking for hope. Uh, and so. Jesus' announcement that this kingdom is coming filled them with hope because they were living under another kingdom, Caesar. And Caesar was not very nice to uh, those people living in Israel in Jesus' day. So Jesus starts talking about a kingdom, and uh, people get excited about that. Now, it doesn't take long for them to realize that Jesus' kingdom is not breaking in by force like most regime changes. You know, when you have a regime change, it usually occurs through some sort of uprising. And uh, it comes through military might and force. And usually the superior force wins out. Uh, a leader brings his army in against the reigning uh, regime, against the, the reigning regime's army, and the government is overthrown. Much like we've seen in the Middle East over the last few years. Regime change. A lot of unrest. Jesus' kingdom doesn't come in that way. It doesn't come in with military might or force. It comes in a, a different way. Now here in verse 11 of the passage before us today, Jesus says, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. He's, telling, uh, he's teaching these people and telling them parables to reveal to them the secrets of the kingdom of God. Jesus is telling us in what is known as the kingdom parables. You know, Jesus will say the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like, and then he'll relate a, a spiritual truth about the kingdom to some everyday event like a farmer sowing seed. So Jesus is telling us what the kingdom is like, how it's going to come, and what are the characteristics of the kingdom, and he's using these stories to relate that because his kingdom is quite different than the kingdom's of this world. Jesus' kingdom is not going to move forward through political or military force. Rather, it comes through teaching and persuading, by hearing, by learning. Not through force, but through persuasion, not coercion. It brings in loving obedience, not slavery. It changes things completely. It transforms things internally all the way out not superficially like a, a regime change that comes through force and power does. Tim Keller says, Jesus' kingdom is more like a seed on the heart than a boulder on the head. The boulder smashes from the outside. 
The seed penetrates to the inside. The entry of a seed is the most gentle of procedures. You see this happening in the life of C. Everett Coop. You know, he, he wasn't struck by a bolt of lightning. It was a slow change over time where he was just completely transformed as he sat under the preaching and teaching of God's Word. The kingdom of God is the rule or reign of God, the expression of His gracious sovereign will. And to belong to the kingdom of God then is to belong to the people among whom the reign of God has already begun. You see, C. Everett Coop was conquered by Christ. And some of us here today have been as well. And this parable before us today is telling us how loyal subjects of Jesus Christ are produced through the hearing of God's Word. And it also tells us why God's Word does not always produce loyal subjects of Jesus Christ. Now we pray, we prayed it this morning, your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, how is that going to happen? How is God's kingdom going to come? How is His will done in my life, in your life? The answer, according to this parable, is that it comes through hearing the Word of God. I want to look at two things today. First, how the kingdom comes and why sometimes it doesn't come in a person's heart. Now, first, it tells us here how the, kingdom is com- how the kingdom comes. Now, the main point is summed up there in verse 9 where Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear. And that's really what it's all about, hearing God's Word. The word hear is used seven times in these 20 verses where Jesus tells this parable. And Jesus begins by saying, listen, listen. The kingdom only comes to those who have gone to great lengths to listen. Listen to what? Well, the Word, he says, is compared here to seed. There's nothing more important in the Christian life than listening to and understanding the Word of God. Learning the Word of God takes time. It takes understanding. It takes skill. It's kind of like farming. You know, I can give you testimony, living or dying testimony, of how to not grow plants. Uh, We've got some plants at our house that are dead because no one has taken the time to care for them and water them and give them sunlight and to cultivate these plants. Same is true in our lives. We have to cultivate the Word of God in our lives. Our admission into and our progress in the Christian life is a very deliberate process of listening to God's Word and working out its implications in our lives. Now, in one sense, I am a sower here today, and I am uh, sowing the Word of God. The Word of God is the seed in our heart's are the soil, all of our hearts, because I'm listening to the Word as I proclaim the Word to you this morning. But in another sense, Jesus is the sower, because I'm just His mouthpiece. This is God's Word. This is Christ's Word to us. So I am hearing and listening. I'm a mouthpiece for Him. So Jesus is the sower. But as well, in another sense, Jesus is the seed. He Himself is the seed. 
Now, the parable tells us that the seed is the word of God, but not only should we ask the question, what is the word of God, but who is the word of God? Jesus Christ is the word of God, according to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, the word was with God. All things were created through him. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He is the word of God. And to put this in simple language that we can all relate to, in one sense, what I'm trying to say here is that Jesus Christ is God the Father's love letter to the human race. Now, that sounds kind of cheesy, I know, Uh, and, and maybe a little schmaltzy. But I'll back it up with Scripture, 1 John 4, 8 through 10. It says this, it says, God is love, God is love, and in this the love of God was made manifest among us. How do we know God loves us? What is the greatest manifestation of God's love? When he wanted to show us his love, what did he do? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He was a sacrifice of atonement. That is God showing us, God the Father showing us by taking on human flesh in the person of God the Son, and coming to earth and sacrificing himself on our behalf. That's a summary of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. So Jesus is the Word. His, his whole life is a Word to us. His sinless life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, his eventual ascension to the right hand of the Father. Now that is the seed we need to sink down into our hearts, the message of Christ. Now, of course, we all know it. I've just told it to you, so you know it. But what we're talking about here is more than just hearing it, but listening to it and letting it sink down in and affect the way that we live our lives. I've given you this example before, but I'm going to give it to you again because I think it's the best biblical illustration of what we're talking about here. And that is the example that Paul gives to us in Galatians 2, where Paul confronts Peter. Now, Paul says that Peter was not living in step with the truth of the gospel because Peter uh, would eat with Gentiles. Peter was a Jew. He ate with Gentiles, but when certain other Jews showed up, he wouldn't wouldn't associate with the Gentiles. And Paul's saying, that's not right. You're acting like Gentiles aren't part of the people of God. Now, had Peter forgotten the gospel? No, he, he was... He was basically one of the first people to preach the gospel in Acts chapter 2. He preached the first sermon in Acts chapter 2. So yeah, he knew the gospel. He, he was one of the twelve. He walked with Jesus. He knew it well. Did he know about the Gentiles being uh, a part of God's family? Yes, because he was the first person to preach to the Gentiles. You see the episode with, with him and Cornelius. So he hadn't forgotten it, that, that he had those experiences or heard those words. But he had forgotten it in the sense that he was not living in line with it. He was not living under the implications of that for his life. That's what we're talking about here today. We're talking about wrestling with the Word of God, reflecting on it, thinking it out until it sinks in, like seed in the ground, until it sprouts and grows. Jesus shows us here that the Word of God has to be cultivated in our lives. 
Now, I'm not telling you to try harder. I'm not shaking my finger out and saying, you need to listen harder. All I'm saying is, just listen to it. Soak in it. Let it shape. Let it mold you. Let it motivate you. Now, God's, God's kingdom comes to those who are humbly receptive of His Word. Now, this passage also tells us uh, three reasons why some people uh, don't grow, why the kingdom doesn't come into some people's lives. The seed is sown, it tells us. And some seed falls, first of all, along the path. You know, a path is beaten down, it's hard soil. And uh, the birds come and they devour the seed. If anyone has ever planted grass and thrown seed out in their lawn, uh, you'll find that birds eventually and pretty quickly will show up. They sniff it out and they'll take the seed away because they'll eat it and consume it. Well, Jesus tells us that some seed falls along the hard path and the birds come and devour it. And he explains this in verse 15 by saying, These are the ones where the word is sown, they hear it, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Think of this, again, let's go back to my cheesy illustration of the love letter. If someone sent a love letter to someone else, this would be that person receiving the letter saying, forget about it. I don't want to have anything to do, to do with you. You know, the, the person has written down, you know, I love you, I think you're the greatest thing ever, and I want to have a, a deeper relationship with you. Well, the person rejects that offer and says, no thank you. I don't want to, I don't want to know it, I don't want to have anything to do with you. That's the way some people are with Christianity. They're presented with this wonderful love of God, the great sacrifice of Christ for their sins, and they say, no, thank you. Don't want to have anything to do with it. Their heart is hardened to it, and the seed never even has a chance. That's one type of person this is. Now, if you think about a person writing a love letter again, uh, there is another scenario that could be true about this type of person, the love letter is written. The love is expressed. The person acts like they're receptive to it, but really they don't accept it at all. There are some people who never let the gospel sink in. They come to church. They sit in the pew week after week. But it never makes a difference in their lives. There's no connection between the message of the gospel, and that person's heart and life. The truth does not penetrate. It doesn't move them. It doesn't affect the way they live. So just because you come to church and you're involved in a lot of religious activities, that doesn't mean the seed is growing in your life. Is there any fruit being produced? That's more of an appropriate question to ask. So these are the people who reject the love of Christ. They can do it actively, aggressively, or they can do it passively by just not being affected at all by the great love that Christ has shown to them. Now, secondly, he describes those the seed that falls on the rocky ground. It doesn't have much soil. I spent the, uh, the Friday afternoon. Uh, I've got uh, cracks in the sidewalk and grass is growing up in the shallow. You know, the dirt gets in there and little seeds of grass get in there and grass starts growing along the cracks in the sidewalk. So I went around with Roundup and got rid of that stuff, killed it off. Now, the sun would certainly do the trick. As soon as the sun starts shining down on it or 
it, it, it runs its course, it's going to die. It's not going to sustain life in that scenario, just like this, this is what Jesus describes for us. The sun scorches it because there's no roots. It can't go down and, and get water. And Jesus says these are the ones, they hear the word, they think it sounds pretty good, but when things get tough, it's first sign of trouble, these people bail out. Back again to the love letter scenario. The love letter is written. Someone initially says, yes, I would like to have a relationship with you. But then, they like the idea of the relationship, but then, as soon as things become inconvenient or uncomfortable or difficult, they give up. Now, I guarantee you that having Jesus as your Savior and Lord is going to at least sometimes be inconvenient, uncomfortable, and difficult. It will be. And some people can't take that. They don't want to be uncomfortable or inconvenienced. They don't want to go through difficulties. Some people receive that message with joy when they think it works for them. But as soon as tribulation comes, they say, well, that no longer works for me. And they go off and, and look for something, something else. It's a very superficial faith. It's not a true faith. It doesn't stick with it. Think of that in, in, in relationships. I mean, in relationships, human relationships, there's always going to be trouble. What if at the first sign of trouble you just bailed out on the person? That would show a real lack of character. But there are people who do that with the Lord Jesus Christ. No greater love has been shown than that which Christ has shown us. And are we so quick to just throw it to the side just because some trouble or difficulties come? He's told us that was going to happen. He warned us beforehand that it would be difficult. So that's the seed that, that grows up in the shallow soil. Now, thirdly, he tells us about this seed that falls among the thorns. It sprouts up the beginning, but then gets choked by the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, he says, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. Back to the love letter uh, idea. These people are like those who say yes to a relationship with another person, but they're more interested in having relationships with other things than the person. The disinterested husband who would rather uh, watch television than communicate with his wife. Uh, the person who's supposed to be dating you, uh, but is more interested in their work and really doesn't have time uh, for a relationship with you. These are people who like the idea of Christianity, but pretty soon things come along that replace Christianity as an imperative in their lives. I have some friends whom uh, we, we got to know, became uh, good friends with them, had them over to our house quite often, and we began to share our faith with them. And they had never, hardly ever gone to church in their lives. They were not believers. Um, and, and they were interested in Christianity. So we began to take them through some uh, Christian uh, introduction to Christianity material. And they were interested. They came week after week, and they were learning and uh, growing in their understanding of what Christianity is all about. They got to the point where they were beginning to try it on. They were beginning to say, now, if I accept this, what are the implications for my life? You know, what, how is that going to make me have to change my lifestyle and the things that I'm involved in? They were beginning to think that way. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about working out the implications 
of the gospel in our lives. They were starting to do that. Now, at the same time that they were learning about Christianity, they were also trying to have a child. And they were uh, having trouble having children. And I'll never forget the day they came to us and said, you know, we're trying to have this baby. We're learning about Christianity. But we can only focus on one thing at a time. And having the baby has got to take precedence. And they never talked about Christianity again. They ended up moving away. I don't know if anybody else has come along and planted more seed or watered the seed that's there. But they were living, they're living examples of people who got choked out. The, the seed got choked out by the cares of life. Is there anything more imperative than listening to the Lord Jesus Christ, than saying yes to His love? What would we put in front of knowing Him and having a relationship with Him? That's been a challenge to me uh, as I've studied this passage. What are the things that we would uh, prioritize in our lives over Jesus Christ, who's given His very life for us? What are the things that that we would, or, or how can we say, I don't want to follow Jesus because it's too difficult? I mean, He died for us. He suffered in His soul on the cross. He endured hell on the cross in our place. You look at the rocky soil and the seed among thorns and the, the seed that's taken by the birds, and you think, how can we treat Christ in His great love for us in this way? What I want to encourage you with today is to be receptive to God's Word, to put yourself in the place where, where the seed can be planted in your heart and can be cultivated and grow. Don't get discouraged. You know, growing a crop takes a while. It doesn't spring up overnight. And one thing we learn here is that it does take time. And three-fourths of the time, the, nothing happens good. So it does take a lot of care. It takes time. It takes some energy and effort on our part. But the rewards are great. A great benefit in our souls. We, we grow in our faith. A gradual uh, maturation that comes from continuing listening, study, thought, and application of God's Word. Let the Word of God sink into your soul. And put yourself in a position to cultivate that is what I want to encourage you to do today. Let's pray together.